You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. So not long ago, I released an episode entitled Telling Your Story Through the Annual Fund, and it was a workshop that I did for the Catholic schools in the Diocese of Green Bay about telling your story, but also some basic tactics for those who are either trying to start up an annual fund for the first time or tighten up an existing annual fund. Today's episode will focus on some more advanced tactics and strategies for those interested in beginning more of a major gift or leadership phase for your annual fund, segmenting your data, and some other donor-centric types of concepts. And so I hope you enjoy this midweek bonus episode entitled Advanced Tactics for Your Annual Fund. Okay, so the next step here is making your annual appeal soar. Boy, wouldn't that be exciting? <laughs> How are we going to do that? So uh, has anyone heard of the term donor-centric? Okay, donor-centric. So all of our donors into the, your organization are on a journey. And when we look at our donors as individuals, as people who are entering our organizations, they're on some kind of journey. Some of them are just in the discovery phase and getting to know who you are. Some of them have been donating to you for many years, you know, or, or most of their life. Some of them have been parents. Some of them have been alumni. But they all have a unique journey that is connected to your institution. As you look at your database, and again, this goes back to good data in, gives us good data out. We need to be able to capture some of that journey so that we can treat them as individuals or groups of individuals who are at a particular phase or state with your institution, whether they be first-time donors, whether they be long-time donors, whether they be major donors. Maybe they are prospects for planned giving. Maybe they're more than one of those things at the same time. Tracking your donors, and this is where the database becomes so critical, and where they're at along the journey will certainly impact the results that you see in your own annual fund. So defining your audiences is important, and the ability to segment your data, to be able to pull up a list of those who have been giving to your school for more than five years, or to be able to pull up a list of those donors who give more than $500 a year to your school. One of the questions we had on the break is, you know, how do you reward your donors? And maybe you have a particular gift club, it's a bad term for it, but a way of honoring your donors for those who give more than 500 a year. Maybe you have to decide also what is a major gift at your school, and, and that's going to be a little different for every school. For our elementary school, where I, I was on the board at my kids' elementary school, for us, $250, that was a pretty good gift. You know, and we knew if somebody wrote a $250 check, they might be able to write a little bit more over time, so we treated them as a major donor. We had a small group of major donors. For other schools, it's 500. For some of the schools in Philadelphia, it was more like 5,000. That's great. You have to define what that group is and, and who's in that group. So segmenting your data. So when you look at honoring those donors, maybe you invite them back to a special mass with the chaplain and the head of school once a year, followed by a little brunch. Or maybe you're inviting those folks who have left the school and their legacy or their estate plans. So being able to define those groups and segment them is so critical. Understanding where they're at in the journey is important too. And creating an experience where they can always stay connected or where they can re-enter. Because we know sometimes, especially in school life, sometimes people go away for a little while. But then maybe something tickles them, something hits them, and they're, they're back. 
they get invited to a reunion or they get invited to an event or now suddenly they're grandparents of kids that are going to the school where their kids went once upon a time. But being able to offer opportunities to re-engage them is so important. And we talk about experience, you know, it's a fancy term, a 360 degree experience of, of the donor. But really, what are the different impacts of a donor in their journey? What impacts them from being a previous parent of 10 years ago versus a previous parent of 20 years ago? Maybe 20 years ago, the school was in a real shambles and maybe was on the verge of closure. Well, that's a different generation that has a certain view of your school. But donors of the last five to 10 years, well, they have a very positive experience of the school. So maybe you're talking because it's been a stronger, more fluent time. So you need to be able to talk in a language to your donors and address where they're at and understand the lens by which they see your school. Your donor-centric lens is informed by their preferences. So if you were to look at your case for support, uh, and I would uh, plug my little podcast, but on Monday, uh, we're going to come out, we're doing a, a discussion on how to develop your case for support. And uh, four of our consultants got together and discussed that. So you can subscribe to it and, and listen. But it really talks about how a donor can impact a case for support if you were to engage them in some dialogue, right? And what different donors are interested in looking at as they look at what their preferences are. We know that major donors, major gifts has become much more intentional these days and maybe even it was 10 years ago because major donors, folks with wealth and means have very particular ways in which they like to spend their money. The higher you go up, you realize, well, maybe they already have a philanthropic plan for their dollars and maybe we fit into it and maybe we don't. Maybe their priority is scholarships. Maybe their priorities isn't Catholic schools. So it's good to understand and do some research. We do that with the foundation for our capital campaign here in Green Bay. We do that with all of our clients. Doing that research and understanding where the donors are, are living and where they're, where they're at and what they have given to previously is really important. A lot of that can be found by Googling them. And obviously there's other software with that. So if you were to sit down with your donor and share your case for support, it'd be interesting to get their feedback on that. What would be their point of view on it? And, and that certainly would encourage some dialogue. Maybe it helps you shape your case for support a little bit. Does your case for support need to be the same this year as it was last year? Maybe just by tilting it just a little bit, you get a whole lot more dollars or you were able to capture a particular donor's interest. Like maybe that you don't realize that they give to you because some donors would be really excited if they learned that you were going to upgrade to Google Chromebooks because you just don't have those yet. That could be really exciting for you if you were to include that. So understanding what people are supportive and why they give to your annual fund. One of the best things I did when I was in the Diocese of Allentown, I did a survey of all of our donors, and I asked them why they give to the annual fund. Now, our Bishop's Annual Appeal supported like 10 or 12 different things. Each one of the organizations, like we had Catholic Charities, we had Care for Retired Priests, we had, we had a number of different things. We had our special education schools, and each one of them thought that they were the reason why, of course, our donors gave. And, and they were. They were. But what was like the most popular case for support? When you have 10 elements for a case for support, you need to narrow that down. What are the ones that we highlight most frequently? Well, I learned that care for retired priests was actually extremely important to people because they had been served by their parish priests and they wanted to take care of them in their retirement. I learned that our special learning centers were incredibly important. I also learned that the number one reason people gave to our Bishop's Annual Appeal was because of Catholic Charities because the, the mission of service rang true for everybody. They, they could, that was the easiest one they could lock onto, by far, that got the most votes. So I asked them to kind of rank which cases. So 
for me, that was really helpful. So it's be helpful for you to know why your donors give you know, to your school and to your annual fund. And it empowers them when you do that, right? When you give donors the opportunity to ask questions and give you input, well, then now we're really talking about a donor-centric event, that they feel like they've made a contribution, not just financially, but to the mission of the school. When you're segmenting your appeal, your donors can look something like this. Maybe they're a major donor, maybe they're a current parent, a business owner, a past parent, a lapsed donor, somebody who had given previously but doesn't give currently. Maybe they're an annual donor, a parishioner, a friend, a vendor, an alumni. There's a lot of different things. They could be five of these things, right? But you need to be able to check off the box which ones Jim and Kristen Friend are in your database so that when you pull that data, I'm just looking for my current parents who are lapsed donors and give to the annual fund. You know, or maybe I want my alumni who are lapsed donors, but also past parents. I don't know. You know, maybe they're a business owner and an alumni. Now, I want all my alumni who are business owners, we're going to have a special push for them because we think there's an opportunity for them to have a sponsorship so it helps them push their business, but also helps put some money uh, into our budget. So there are different approaches you can create based on where people fall in your database. Again, this is why segmenting your appeal, spending time in the database is so critical. Now, I have found that a direct mail appeal will only go so far in an effort to grow your annual fund. And so segmenting, asking for the order, all of that is important, but so is creating leadership within your annual fund, creating a personal approach or a personal ask for your leadership. So again, I ask the question, why do people give to your appeal? Do you know that answer? Do you think you know why people give to your annual fund? What is most important? Do you know what to highlight in your annual fund when you're, when you're trying to elicit that emotional response? Do you understand what the value proposition of your school is? When I was in the Diocese of Allentown, I, was, uh, I, I helped to form this group called the Bishop's Commission for Catholic Schools. And their main job was to help us increase enrollment, like many dioceses we had been declining for many years. And what we had to decide is in a marketing effort for Catholic schools, what is the thing that you push? Because there's only th so many things you can push in a marketing effort. You know, do you push the faith? Do you push the academic excellence? What do you guys push? What we decided to push, we decided that both were important. But we felt that the first reason a person, a, a parent makes a decision on choosing a school, any school, is academically going to help our kids. So we chose academic excellence, Catholic values. And we had that tough conversation, not only with the bishop, but also with the pastors to help them understand that faith is incredibly important, but academic excellence is extremely important as well. So we have to decide what is the most important thing to your consumer. So in your own school, when you are asking folks for money, you have to decide what is your unique value proposition. Now, how, what differentiates your school from other Catholic schools or from other public schools? For us, we looked at how do we compare, how do our graduation rates compare to the local public school? Well, we found out that our Catholic high schools were graduating between 98 and 100% of our kids would go on to college, two or four-year college university. Probably not that un, uh, unusual for, from the Diocese of Green Bay as well. That, that a lot of students, 98 to 100% of those kids would go on. Some of our, some of our high schools, 100% of them went on to college. Compared to the public schools, it was about 70%. There's a lot of factors that go into that, but we created billboards that said 98% of our kids go on to a two-year or four-year college or university, and we put them all over the diocese. It caught a lot of attention. 
So it, I, I give you that little example because sometimes you have to be a little bold. You have to sometimes, in a, in a tactful way, in a Christian way, but tout your success. We as Catholics, we don't necessarily do that that well. We have, the, we have an attitude of service, an attitude of being humble, but we also have to be, have a sense of pride in what our students accomplish, and we need to be able to talk about that. And our donors, our donors want to hear about that. Our donor wants to hear that 99% of your kids went on to a trade school, a college, uh, the military, like that they were, they had a plan for their life because of the experience they had at your Catholic high school. So it's okay to brag about that. But you have to obviously think that through and do some research. One of the interesting things, uh, we had a conversation about it. How do you recognize major gifts? As I said before, you have to decide what is a major gift? What, what is the threshold? Maybe your major gift is a thousand or more. But maybe you have a really strong group that gives between 500 and, and less than 1,000. Maybe there's a healthy group there. And can you graduate those folks who are $500 donors and to be $1,000 donors by offering an incentive or a more personalized approach? You know, perhaps inviting those who are 1,000 or more to a special mass and luncheon with the head of school and the pastor once a year would give you not only the opportunity to thank them, but also to get to know them in a personal way. Creating experiences, I think, that are genuine and authentic for your school and don't feel like they're put on is really important. That, that incorporate them, the donor, into the life and mission of the school is a donor-centric experience. So you have to decide what's right for your school, what's right for your alumni association or your parents. What are they going to feel most comfortable doing? Another example, we used to have a, a bishop's brunch. I think they still do around uh, Christmas time. And we would do it at a local country club. It was very nice. But I always made sure that it was sponsored by one of our donors because our donors felt more comfortable going to that country club and enjoying brunch with the bishop if they knew that we weren't spending the bishop's annual appeal money on that. It's just true. So we would, we, I would always find a sponsor. Thank you. so, And we would recognize them during the brunch. And we even put them on the invitation just so that people knew this is what we're spending the money on. This, is, this was from a donor who understood our development program, wanted to help us thank our donors, and has invited us all to lunch at the country club and in honor of those who gave whatever it was, more than five or $10,000 to the Bishop's Annual Appeal. So now everybody can sit back and enjoy their brunch, but they also get to have some time with the bishop or the head of school. They get to create community with one another. You know, and that, that is real. they started to look forward to that brunch, actually, every year I found, because they, they, they enjoyed each other's company. They're like-minded individuals who enjoy supporting Catholic school, Catholic diocese, whatever it is. So building community among your donors can really reap dividends in the future if you can create that kind of connectedness within your own community. How do you all acknowledge or thank your, your major donors? Anybody have anything to share? It's not for our annual campaign, but for our tuition assistance program. We call it our Adopt-A-Student program, and we have whoever donates to that becomes a godparent. And so we have a godparent luncheon where the children do a program just for them. They sing songs, do plays, and then after the program, they eat lunch with the kids. So they sit with the kids, eat lunch, so people make sure they get their donations into that program before that lunch because they don't want to miss the lunch. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, great examples. Great examples. So uh, we're going to talk about major gifts and gathering some data. 
So a major gift program does not have to be scary or it doesn't have to be, you know, huge. And, and you, you know, I'm sure that a lot of you don't have the money to hire a major gift officer whose full-time job it is. Like the universities, many of them have an army of major gift officers that they send out to just cultivate relationships. You know, we know that at, you know, our Catholic schools where we, uh, we have only so many resources, but how we use our time is, is really critical and where we focus that energy is, is really important. So you might just start by identifying your top 20 donors, okay? Uh, maybe in that top 20, or 17 are your top donors. Maybe three of them should be one of your top 20 donors. You know they have the capacity. Let's put it a different way. 15 of your top donors, five who should be your top donors, who are not. You need to spend a little more time cultivating. Go visit them or invite them to the school for coffee. When's the last time they were in the building? Have you spent any time getting to know what's important to them? Again, have a little survey. I'm doing a little survey of some of our donors. You have been so important to our school and our success. I was wondering if I could have coffee with you and just spend your ear for like 20 minutes and ask some questions about some things that we're trying with the school here. I would really, really value your input. Wow, you're asking my input? You, you, you want to spend some time with me? Now, some of them are going to be open to that, and we know some of them are not, or they're going to be very busy. And some of these might wind up being phone calls rather than personal visits. But just the invitation that personal connection that you pick up the phone because you want to gather some information from them, because you want to get their input. We in the Catholic Church, we don't always do that very well, do we? <laughs> we need to engage folks a little bit more in, in our mission. So it also gives you an opportunity to thank them. Again, we talked about thanking them seven times in between every gift. Thank them for their, for their note. Take notes on the, uh, on the visit. Spend some time, make sure not maybe... If it feels appropriate to take some notes during the meeting, great. If not, as soon as they leave, take a bunch of notes. Make sure those notes are captured in your razor's edge, in your donor perfect. If you don't have either, in some kind of a file where you can access them. So you can remember, oh, I had that conversation with Jim Friend, and he really loves scholarships, and uh, his son uh, went to school here, and now he's at Harvard, and he's not at Harvard, but he's... he's uh, <laughs> Maybe he will someday. You never know. <laughs> but, um, and I'm making this up. He vacations, you know, and has this beach house. And they went to Europe last year. And, oh, oh wow, went to Europe. Oh, it has a beach house. Oh, it has a yacht. Yeah. Little things that might indicate, <laughs> might indicate wealth, right? What are, not just what's important to them, but things that might indicate there might be some means here, right? And then you know, okay, because you have a very limited amount of time, especially if you're a building principal. My goodness, you have to deal with parents and teachers and curriculum and none and none and none. So you have about, you have, how much time a week do you have for this? Well, you have to carve out time, right? As the, as the head of the school, you have to carve out some time. So how many of these can you tackle? But that could be such a critical, so it'll certainly be because, again, if you're the principal and you do this, investing that time says a lot to the donor. Okay, that you have now, I'm the head of the organization, you have my full attention, I want to learn more about you. That's a great investment of time. So as an advancement director, we want to leverage our heads of school in a way in which we're putting them in front of those right people. So that's our role as advancement directors. Make sure that they're spending time with the right people and, and that their time is used well. And those kind of important meetings, if the head of school is having a meeting that maybe you as the advancement director are not into, which is going to happen, obviously, they're busy people, but uh, what relationships do they have that they can bring you into? You know, sometimes I would go with the bishop on a particular meeting. I didn't necessarily have a role in that meeting because it was between the bishop and that donor. 
but I was part of the dialogue. And because I'm part of the dialogue and I'm the guy taking notes, at least in the back of my mind or on the side here, I'm now that because I've been introduced to that person, I'm a, I can become a part of that relationship. I can then feel comfortable maybe to call that person and have a meeting of my own or continue a dialogue because let's face it, the head of school is so important. They can't track every one of these little things down. They, they're going to need you as the advancement director to be their arms and eyes and ears, move the ball forward. Give you a great example. When our bishop in Allentown came, he said to me, Jim, I know there's a lot of important folks in the diocese. I need you to tell me who are the top 30 or so that I should meet first. And we just set up a series of lunches. He came in, we had mass, and we had lunch. And he just engaged them in great dialogues. One of those dialogues resulted in creating a, pa a Catholic business owners association. Because there was a donor that came in and says, I would just love if I knew who the Catholics were because I would like to support people who are part of my faith. And because I know they have the same values as me, I know that you know, I'd like to do more business with them as a business owner. And I'd like to maybe even hire young people or people who are, who are Catholics who may be out of work. How do we create that network? So I, because I'm sitting at the table, I can then now, Bishop's not going to create a Catholic business network. He doesn't have that kind of time. But I can begin to work on that with the donor now. We did. A couple years later, we have a Catholic Business Owners Alliance. There was over 100 people in it. It was a great success, but it started with that lunch. It started because the bishop spent some time with that donor, got him really excited, got him more engaged. Understanding their journey is so important. You know, um, I go to Philadelphia, and they've been rocked by the abuse scandal. They've had schools close you know, where donors and alumni were disenfranchised. It happens in every diocese, not unique to Philadelphia. We wound up apologizing for things that we had nothing to do with that happened 20 years earlier. And, and sometimes that's uncomfortable. But as advancement directors, as heads of school, we have to, we have to listen to them. Sometimes folks just need to be listened to, and, and we can't skirt around that issue. That is an issue that is honestly going to be a part of the rest of our lives. It's not going away anytime soon. We have to be able to have good answers on how maybe we address those issues, but to be proactive in what, how are we being transparent. That's a whole other topic, but, but we have to understand their journey, and, uh, and that's so important. And like I said, we talked about understanding why they give to the school and what's important to them. And also, one of the things with major gifts is it's nice to leave the meeting with a follow-up item. I'm going to call you in a couple weeks because I'm going to give you some information about whatever. Right, just a little leave behind or, you know what, let's set up a meeting to have you come meet with such and such. Or, you know what, if you met at a coffee shop, you know what, you, you haven't seen the renovated gymnasium. Why don't I call you and set up a time for you to come and see the gymnasium? Just a little bit of a follow-up or we're going to connect with, you're going to help me connect with John Smith, who is an alum who we haven't seen in a long time. Let me give you a call and see if we can figure out a time where you and I and John Smith can get together and give him a tour of the school. Some little way to keep them engaged. Doesn't matter, maybe two or three items, but always leave with a little bit of an action step on that. Again, it doesn't have to be a big, hairy, scary major gift program. I know we talk about major gifts. People sometimes get a little nervous. Bite it off in small chunks. Like we said at the beginning, figure out two or three things that you're going to do differently this year and implement them. Then find two or three more things next year. How do you identify who your major gift givers are? You should be able to pull that from your database, identify them and, and sort them uh, as to how much they've given. Does that make sense? So usually I would just do an export of folks who gave to my appeal over the last couple of years. I would do more than one year. Maybe it's three years or five years. And I would just sort and identify those people. And then usually you tag them. And then they become part of my major gift program. This is certainly not an exhaustive list here of stewardship ways to say thank you. 
but I created you know a little little list. Obviously, you guys probably have things that you do that aren't even on this list, but everybody should be getting a personalized gift acknowledgement letter. Uh, again, that should never be a dear friend. <laughs> that's a that's a dear Jim and Kristen. Thank you for your gift of whatever uh, to our school. Sometimes people do birthday cards, Christmas or Easter cards. Uh, make sure they're receiving your newsletter. You don't want the only time you write to these folks to be when you're asking them for money, right? So they should be receiving good news about your school throughout the year. Sometimes profiling a donor in your newsletter. Why do they give to your school? Maybe they did something important. Maybe they did something great for your school and you want to thank them or, or a particular parent. It's to be a little careful when you're thanking parents because sometimes that can cause rifts in your community. If they're past parents, that might be better than thanking current parents, but you guys know your communities. I've seen uh, video, uh, videos and emails are becoming big now. You know, uh, sometimes a personal, I, I've seen there's actually, there are now organizations that are companies that will have you send a personalized email. Thank you, Jim and Kristen. It pops up in the email and it's just, you know, because of smartphones and the technology is so accessible, you could send them a personalized email. We talked about inviting them for coffee and a tour, special invitation to big events. Sometimes we would do a little wine and cheese before the school play for donors who gave over a certain amount, and then we reserved them seating to the school play. We had some success with that for a while. Maybe you call them whenever you receive a gift. Just, hey, I got a batch of 20 gifts. People who give over, if you have thousands of donors, you may not be able to do this, but maybe if they give over a certain amount, you give them a quick call and just leave them a voicemail. They appreciate getting that. I've also seen thankathons uh, at my kids' school. Um, the eighth graders would do a thankathon once a year, and I'd get a call from an eighth grader, uh, be on my cell phone. Thank you so much, Mr. and Mrs. Friend, for giving to our annual fund. We still, I mean, that means a lot. People really, my my kids, my alma mater, Westchester University. Whenever the student gets me on the phone, it's like oh, I can't not give to my alma mater, you know. Especially in my business, right? <laughs> so uh, I I always cave when when a student calls. Um, now all your students are going to call me. No, in, uh, <laughs> invite their input, as we said before, whether it's a survey or through dialogue. Handwritten notes sometimes. I mean, again, these, some of these things take time, but a little handwritten note on a standard thank you can go a long way, personalizing them. I've seen schools that recognize their donors on social media. You know, a little pro, it's not just newsletter, but profiling, something they did special for their, for their school. I've seen some schools, they know so much about their donors that they're able to invite them in to speak about their professions, you know, whether it's business or maybe they're a firefighter or maybe they're a police officer. I'm sure some of you have done this already where you invite your parents in. It's a great opportunity to invite your alumni back. Oh, we understand you just started a new security business. Would you come and talk to our students about that for five minutes or whatever? Working them into the program is really important. My kid's teacher once asked me to come in and talk about how a diocese worked, because I worked in the diocese. How does that work, a bishop and a chancery? So I went into a fifth grade class and answered questions about how a diocese worked. It was kind of fun. Um, and we talked about a, a gratitude campaign. Uh, just a, a quick review, making your case for support emotional is important. Make it brief and choose your words carefully. I think that's really important. Cases for support that go on and on. We, we recognize that people have a limited amount of time and they... they so choose your words carefully. Eye-catching and compelling. We talked about pictures. Yes, pictures of the kids after you have the proper releases, obviously, but trying to bring them into the community, especially donors who haven't been to your campus in a while or alumni who haven't been. They, they want to see visuals of what's happening in your school. Let the narrative lead them to making a gift, right? This is that you're telling a story. Going back to what we talked about at the very beginning, you should be telling the story of your school throughout the year and testing your case for support against those folks. So... 
All right, so there are a few more slides and they'll all be online and you guys can, and that's why I do these ridiculously long slides because I know we can't get into everything and you'll have your notes later if any of this is helpful to you. Let me just say this was a lot of fun today and I really appreciate your energy and your enthusiasm, your excitement. And we can continue the dialogue beyond this if, if you have questions or whatever. But just one of the things I'll highlight on this slide is, uh, as I said before, getting your first mailing out is so critical. So just look at your timeline and make sure that you're allowing enough time in the fall to do the follow-up. So if you get that first mailing out in uh, early October, late September, you'll have time to do follow-up and other things because that, that fall is just a critical time for giving for your donor plan, for your annual fund plan. Creating a follow-up plan for your past donors. How do you re-engage folks who have been, we didn't spend a lot of time on that today, but how do you re-engage alumni or people who have given previously? There's such a low national retention rate for donors. It's incredible. It's like in the 60 percentile, people that actually stay giving consistently. There is so much competition that you guys have out there. People who give to one thing usually give to many different things, right? They're just not philanthropic to you. Nobody owns a donor. You know, that's something that we really struggle with, uh, I think, in our own world, that you know, just because they give to your school doesn't mean, I mean, if they give to your school, they might also be given to the Bishop's Annual Appeal and to uh, the Catholic Foundation and maybe four other causes that aren't even Catholic-related. Like, they, most people have different causes. So recognize you're just one voice, and you have to be out there a lot. Um, some lessons that I've learned, you can't do this alone. You've got to engage your faculty. You've got to engage uh, your, your head of school. You've got to have a team approach to this. If it's just your uh, annual fund all by yourself in your office, uh, you've got to figure out how to engage other people. The first person, if I was the advancement director, make sure that my head of school is engaged in the annual fund and then talk with them about how to get the rest of the faculty involved with, with the school. Maybe it starts with a, with a staff or, or a faculty, uh, all staff giving program. Make sure, think about everybody giving to the annual fund. We want 100% participation. Engage a committee, pastor, staff, a compelling case for support. Um, again, think about leadership gifts in, or think about a major gift program. Again, even if it's just starting with five donors, you know, that you're going to reach out. Who are the five donors you're going to reach out to in the fall? And just engage them in a dialogue that you haven't had with them before. It will, it'll pay dividends in the, in the, in the, in the future. Um, Remember that God is in the details. I was uh, instead of the devil's in the details. God is in the details, and you should be there too, right? There are so many details of an annual fund to make sure that the right person's getting the right letter and the right ask them out. Uh, if you're going to be bold and you're doing a dear friends letter, and you're moving to the dear personalization, that's a big step. But but be bold and do it, and recognize you're, you're probably going to make a couple mistakes, and that's okay. But, but, but executing, as Larry Bossi would say, uh, rather than not trying something new, I mean, that, that's a good thing. You know, if, if we're not upsetting people once in a while, we're probably not doing our jobs because we're in a public role, right? We're, we're in a PR role in many ways. We try not to, but sometimes we're going to stumble, and it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay. Follow-up. I used to have a boss that would say, you know, 90%, 90% of fundraising is all about follow-up. You know, you make the ask, but then what do you do next? You just let it sit there? We know that we all get, how many solicitations do you get in a month? I mean, I get so many from American Red Cross and you know, homeless shelters and fire department. Everybody wants my, my, my money. <laughs> so remember that follow-up is so critical. Can't just send a letter, sit back, and wait for it to come back. Is there a follow-up email? Is there a follow-up phone call? You know, what is the follow-up? Always be following up. Our role, we're a teacher. 
I think we have to be a visionary. We have to set out a plan for what the school can be. We have to have an attitude of abundance, right? Not just that we're going to be happy with what we have, but we have to have a vision for what we can have. And we have to inspire our boards, our volunteers to be better than we are. We have to be a cheerleader. We have to celebrate the small wins, not just the big wins, but the small wins. Uh, when we re-engage a donor, right, or when we engage a brand new donor, we have to be a door opener for our head of school. We have to open new doors and, and bring people into the school. Obviously, we're the, one of the chief communicators of the school. We have to connect people with the mission, connect people with other, uh, institution, with, with other people in the institution to further the mission of our school. And sometimes we're an evaluator. We should always be evaluating our results and looking at the data so that we're data-driven as well. And then sometimes we're just a pest, right? <laughs> sometimes we just have to be because we have to do that follow-up and we have a job to do. Remember, you're not asking for yourself, right? That's the big thing. You're asking for the mission. You're asking for the kids, for the school, to further Catholic education in your area. So I want to thank you all for everything you do for Catholic education, the Diocese of Green Bay, and I appreciate you taking the trip out to be with us this morning. Thank you. I want to thank the Catholic schools of the Diocese of Green Bay for inviting me to present on the annual fund. It was a great pleasure to be with all of you, and it was a fun conversation. I will leave a link to our presentation on the website and in our show notes if you'd like to download today's notes and presentation. And if you have any questions about anything I covered today, please reach out to me at jim at advancingourchurch.com, or you can reach out to me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you subscribe to social media. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for helping to produce our show. If you'd like more information about our podcast, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. A great way to show love for our show is to leave us a rating on iTunes. And I also want to just thank all those who have been liking and retweeting and reposting our podcast. That is a huge help to help us to spread the word. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Hope you have a great week. Enjoy these last few weeks of summer. Take care and God bless.